Just a heads up before we begin this episode, the Baron of Botox deals with difficult topics, including depression and suicide. It is not recommended for young audiences. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for information on resources for anyone who is suffering from depression or suicidal thoughts. Let's begin the show. I'm Jean Godfrey June. I'm the beauty director at Goop, and I've been writing about and editing stories about beauty, first in magazines and now at Goop since the early 90s. Like Linda Wells, Jean Godfrey June remembers the stigma Botox had when Fred Brandt arrived on the New York City beauty scene. It was something like a dark art or voodoo. Hardly the kind of treatment a feel-goodery like Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop would be promoting alongside ethically sourced cashmere and non-toxic deodorants. Not that feel-gooderies were exactly the rage back then. People were talking about Botox. It had sort of recently come out as a thing. And people thought, oh, it's going to freeze your whole face. And will you get botulism? And so I remember I wrote about it in my column. I wrote about that experience, I think. I, I would have to dig it up. But I emphasized in the thing that, you know, this stuff is the most toxic substance on earth. People are crazy injecting it into themselves. And then, you know, I see the results and I'm like, wow. It was sort of the beginning of both Botox, but also certainly my knowing Dr. Brand. Dr. Brandt won over skeptics like Jean with something other than science. His secret sauce, she says, was the way he connected with his patients. Really good, certainly in my industry, but really good hairdressers, really good makeup artists, really good dermatologists. I think they take a lot of whoever their client is who's sitting in front of them, they take a lot of that person's energy, like, in. <laughs> Not to sound too goofy. Um, Dr. Brandt is similar to sort of top hairstylist or something like that, where they're looking and taking in that person really fully to figure out what's beautiful about them. And it's very different from, I think, sort of lesser talent are like, how can I paste, you know, this thing I already know onto that person to sort of make them look like a beautiful person. She tells me about this one time she went to see Dr. Brandt during an especially difficult period in her own life. His empathy during that appointment stuck with her. I remember when I got divorced. I came in and I knew I was getting divorced. He took a really long time to just say, you're going to be fine and this is going to be good. A dermatologist appointment is an incredibly intimate thing. You're right up in someone's face and energy and you're talking about how you appear to the world and your insecurities. And so, yeah, I, I do think that's why that, that memory stands out in my mind is because I know he did that with everyone. He wasn't just like going in and being like, oh, you need, you know, Botox good, see you later. He was really absorbing people's energy in a way that I think is both beautiful and very giving, but also would make life hard, I think. From Imperative Entertainment, I'm Justine Harmon, and this is The Baron of Botox, Episode 4, Heart and Commerce. Back in August... I went to meet with Dr. Brandt's protege, Dr. Robert Analik, for the second time. The Dr. Analik is much younger than Dr. Brandt. He was the one who joked at the memorial that Dr. Brandt was a 65-year-old with a 37-year-old body, while he was a 37-year-old with the body of a 65-year-old. The two were professionally inseparable the last five years of Dr. Brandt's life. Our first visit was something of a get-to-know-you. This second one was uh, 
bit more experimental. I asked Dr. Analik if he'd be willing to recreate the experience of getting Botox with Dr. Brandt to emulate as best as he can the way his mentor would appraise a patient's face and casually, jovially, inject it with a cocktail of products intended to restore a face to what he called harmony. The whole thing has a kind of you-have-to-see-it-to-believe-it lore. And since I can't really see it, I imagine this is the next best thing. I also really want to capture a sound nearly anyone who has gotten Botox has heard. A low, crunching noise as the liquid tries to find its way under the skin and onto the muscle. I've had Botox about five times in the past few years. I first got it in 2017 when I was 32, after the birth of my first child, to eliminate a horizontal line in my forehead that had been bugging me in pictures. Then I just felt compelled to maintain it. During my second pregnancy, I actually missed the limited range of motion in my forehead, kind of like the way I miss the feeling of sore abs or like having abs. The crunching sound is one of those things that's alarming at first and then somehow routine, like the noxious smell of bleach when you're getting your hair highlighted or the discomfort of having a blackhead removed during a facial. Much to my surprise, Dr. Analik agreed to all of this. You're a millennial. Only a millennial would know to hit undo on a doctor's <laughs> consent form. It's after hours, and the spacious offices are empty, save for me, Dr. Analik, and a sound guy named Ryan, who my producer Jason found at the 11th hour. The three of us are in the same treatment room I've seen in so many videos of Dr. Brandt demonstrating his abilities. While I'm filling out my paperwork, I take the opportunity to needle Dr. A. That's what people call him, Dr. A. About the Oscar winner I saw hustling to her SUV while I was downstairs waiting for Ryan to arrive. Is it possible that I saw a celebrity exiting this building Maybe. from a different location sometimes. prior to arriving here today? That happens sometimes. Sometimes people want to leave separate exits so they don't feel like they're being seen. I get it. After answering a variety of very personal intake questions myself, like whether I suffer from anxiety and whether I've had more than four drinks in a single day in the past year, we begin the treatment. You ready? Okay. I just want to make sure we get the right area of the muscle. Bring your eyebrows together. Relax. Do it one more time. Fred used to say, frown, relax, frown, relax. Okay. Frown for me. And relax. Here's a pinch. There. Did you hear it? That, right there. Sort of a squirt followed by a snap crackle pop. That's the Botox going into my face. Dr. Analik repeats this injection, which he administers quickly and in a down-then-up motion, four more times between my eyebrows to combat 11 lines, or those vertical creases that make you look tired. And at this point, I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. So yeah, I'm wicked tired. Then we do something wild. I had heard that Dr. Brandt was famous for injecting Botox in an unexpected place. The tip of the nose can turn down. It's an aging sign. There are these images of these old people with these enlarged, turned-down noses that they didn't have when they were in the 20s and 30s. There are ways to think about what's causing the problem. And there are muscles at the base of the nose that when they flex, they allow a turn-down of the tip of the nose. And again... Botox can relax a muscle. So if we're targeting that muscle, the ability of that muscle to flex and turn down the nose is reduced. That's right. I got a needle right in my... Make a big smile and relax. Okay. We're going to inject the needle at the base of the nose. One, two, three. Pinch. Breathe, breathe, breathe. You're done. 
turns out I had misunderstood the uh, mechanics of this particular procedure. It wasn't that bad. I, I know. It's two seconds. expect it yeah. kind of right. I When we said the tip of the nose, I expected it. The, oh, you expected the very The tip, tip of my nose. Yeah. But see, that's not where the muscle <laughs> is that causes the problem. So that's what I misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I still got it. It didn't really hurt. Good. Thank you. Good. All right. That's okay. it. Yeah, I feel great. Good. That's how you would restore my face to harmony. Just five injections of Botox and then one. No. We'll just, we inject all over the face. Should we do some more? <laughs> I'm happy to do more. What else would you do? Plenty more. Go. Just tell me what it would be. Okay. So we would have to do the crow's feet. I would do the neck bands. Let's do it. Really? Yeah. Let me get some more. Okay. Sit still. Oh, my God. While I'm waiting for Dr. Analik to return, I think about the significance of the room we're in. Make no mistake, its look is purely medical. Sterile surfaces and white cabinets, safety trash cans for proper syringe disposal, and striker brand medical furniture. But it doubles as so much more than a treatment room. It's a therapist's office, a members-only club, and not unlike a place of worship, a sacred space where rituals are observed and repeated. In a 60 Minutes Australia segment from 2009 titled Changing Face, Dr. Brandt is filmed in this very room with his good friend and personal shopper, Susie Isaacs. The video shows Brandt nimbly injecting Susie's face while a technician holds what appears to be ice packs to redden areas. Despite the bizarre nature of the event, Brandt and Susie are at peace with one another. They're actually harmonizing to Judy Garland's Easter parade as he works. Let's get the creams on the face and your age we will erase. Today, his patient is Susie Isaacs. On the avenue, Fifth Avenue, the photographers will snap you. She works in the fashion industry and at 50-something is just a touch older than the material girl herself. He's such a talented artist. I'm putty in his hands. Whatever he wants to do, I trust him implicitly. Half a dozen more jabs, and Susie has a Botox neck lift, a Dr. Brandt special. So can you get rid of the turkey thing yes. that people get? Gobble, gobble. Yeah. <laughs> a few bruises later, Susie's had a facelift without the stitches and post-operative recovery. You're looking good, The tone of the TV segment is cheeky. At one point, the interviewer actually challenges Dr. Brandt to make a variety of facial expressions. He takes the ribbing in stride. You show me that again. Frown. I can't frown. Show me. You can't do it. Oh, you're trying to... No, no, seriously. No, I can't. Can you look angry? Can you... How about surprised? <laughs> I convey it with my personality. <laughs> Susie, it's clear, takes her friend and his expertise seriously. At the end of her treatment, Brant appraises his work before issuing a command. Tighten. When he says this, Susie juts her bottom teeth out to create an exaggerated underbite, and Brant slips one more needle into her neck. Down, then up. You're looking good, Miss Susie. Tighten. Only catch is, the $10,000 treatment wears off after about three months. That wasn't so bad. <laughs> but look at this. This is Susie. You can see what a change. She had a lot of that jolliness in her neck and her jawline was irregular. This is how Susie used to look seven years ago. She's starting to get old here. Right, but now she's young again. All that in 20 minutes and I'm ready to go back to work.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. 10 years later, and I'm here in the same exact room where Susie became young again. Dr. A returns with a bouquet of syringes and begins to decorate my jaw and neck and even that little no man's land between my eyes and ears with pinpricks. And he does it all with this campy sense of humor. I can't tell whether that's because he's channeling Dr. Brandt or because he too finds humor in the absurdity of the situation. All right. Yes. Here we go. Big smile. And relax. I have never had anything in the crow's feet before. Can you tell a virgin crow from a non-virgin crow? It's not. They look like they've been around the block. <laughs> we just keep going. Take your lower lip, put it out like this, like you're making, what would that expression be? Making a fat lip of your oh, lower lip. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't really know. But I see the muscle contract. That's a natural expression. And, you can, and there's a little rippling there. And here's a pinch. That mentalis muscle. Oh, right in the John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, okay. that one was the spiciest of them yet. Really? More than us. That's interesting. Okay. I mean, Tighten your neck again. <laughs> have I done? The other side of your neck. Wait, which one? Relax. That one's like, what are we going to do? Tighten again. Relax. Oh, boy. They're going to be talking about you on page six. I think this makeover. Eyebrows up high again. Relax. Just one little drop more on your forehead. Perfect. I'm done. Good work. The entire thing takes only 15 minutes. When we're done, I offer to pay, but Dr. Analik waves me off. Later, I ask how much the treatment I received would typically cost a patient, and he tells me somewhere between $1,000 and $2,000. Afterwards, we sit down in his office, which actually used to be Dr. Brandt's office. There's a framed photo of the two of them on the bookshelf, and they look like the last two people you would imagine posing for a picture together. Dr. Analik, though handsome, has that whole rumpled dad vibe going for him. And we did spend a lot of time together. Fred would joke that he was my work wife. I remember I would get so used to being around him that I would, you know, forget that people would do a double take and take a look and see who's this guy who I'm with because we kind of didn't look like we matched necessarily. We would do, at the end of the day, what he called the green light walk because we didn't live far from each other on the west side of Midtown or mm -hmm. towards Chelsea. We would walk home and I think it was the way that he kind of blow off steam from the day and we just wouldn't stop the walk. We would walk in at every intersection, whichever way the green was pointing, we'd walk in that direction as we were heading towards where we were trying to go. But we had a lot of walks together and a lot of time together. He injected his face, whereas sure. you, to my naked eye, appears that you have not 
drank that particular Kool-Aid. Have you ever been tempted or have you ever gotten any Botox or anything like that? I've had procedures done. You have. But I think that I do more laser than mm-hmm. that. And everyone has an aesthetic and how they want to be and how they want to present themselves. He approached his face differently. And this used to be his office, right? Yeah, we're sitting in his office and the office where we just treated you or the patient room was a room where he would be running in and out of routinely to treat his patients. I joked with you earlier that he would say that he's in show business on top of what else he did. He was a performer. He would sing, he would dance, he'd be laughing. And part of the treatment was not just that he was so good at what he did, but people had so much fun. And he was performing to make that happen. It was an important part of it to him. He wanted people to feel positive and have a good time. And I heard him say that about the staff and the doctors and everybody. But he would come down off of that high, and we would just relax, and he would be, I don't want to say more normal, but his energy level would come back to a baseline where he can talk over things, day-to-day things, and academic things, and personal interest things, and things like that. At the end of the day, we would sit and just talk. Back then, Dr. Brandt's office was notorious for wait times so long that some patients would call in advance just to see how behind he was running. The lobby was teeming full of women, some famous, some rich, many both hanging around, sometimes for hours at a time, to see him. He would never, part of the reason that it happened is that he would spend so much time with a patient, an individual patient. If somebody needed anything, he, he wouldn't rush the procedure. And also, half the times it was sometimes a therapy session and people mm-hmm. would bring up personal issues and he wouldn't rush that either. And he would talk about that. If somebody had something going on in their lives. He would talk about it and he wouldn't rush out of the room. So everyone got their time with him. And if you were later in the day, it might mean they were fairly backed up. That first appointment was a very popular appointment. (laughs) But at the end of the day, 15 minutes with Dr. Brandt, or Dr. Analik, cost thousands of dollars. And I only got Botox. With fillers and lasers, one appointment with Dr. Brandt could easily run upwards of $7,000. Therapists, like really good therapists, cost a fraction of that. And don't get me wrong, this stuff works. But it doesn't work the way you might think. I was so excited about my new face that a week after seeing Analik, I sent a selfie to my best friend Lizzie. Do I look different? I asked. She wrote back immediately. No. It's not that Lizzie would be right exactly, but that the change is so subtle and so in tune with my own assessment of my face that there's no way she or anyone else could really see it the way I do. Because as someone once told me, Women see our faces as a collection of parts. When Lizzie sees that selfie, she sees me, her imperfect friend, doing her weird mirror face. When I see that selfie, I see my good angle, the one where my more prominent cheekbone is showing and my better eyebrow is on display, and a version of my face that makes me feel comfortable. In that selfie, I see both a promising future and a gentle softening of the past. My body, perhaps forever changed from having two kids, isn't pictured. My home, full of clutter and forgotten toys, isn't pictured. My skin looks radiant and dewy. And my nose? Well, fuck it. My nose looks cuter. I knew that I was going to be on a reality television show, and I had just heard about the fantastic and extraordinary Fred Brandt, and I felt like if I was going to go be on TV, I really, you know, had to go to the best of the best. You may recognize this voice as one of the most divisive cast members on The Real Housewives of New York City. 
Aviva Drescher was the lifelong New Yorker and ex-wife of notorious playboy Harry Dubin. She also memorably banged her prosthetic leg on a table during the season six finale. Let me tell you something, Heather. The only thing. Keep it together, Aviva. The only thing that is artificial or fake about me. This. Yep, and right before she decided to wade into the Bravo gauntlet where... All people do is insult you for sport. That's what they do. It's like being a gladiator with tits in reality television. Did you say a gladiator with tits? Yeah. She decided to get a face tune from Dr. Brandt. What was it that you were hoping to achieve by seeing Fred? Just to look my best, to be the prettiest that I could be. Do you remember your first consultation with him and what he seemed like and what you guys talked about? I just remember going, I remember always waiting for hours. I waited for a long time. I remember bracing myself for the price because I'd heard he was very expensive. I just remember him being extremely intensely gentle, very intense, like an artist. He really wasn't looking to sell product or he really looked at me as though I was a work of art and he was going to improve me. And it was something that I felt from his soul. He was a very gentle, gentle man. After I went to Dr. Brandt and I had been to several other doctors, my husband looked at me and was like, wow, this really is incredible. Like, you really look good. Instead of the intersection between art and commerce, Dr. Brandt lived at the even more nebulous intersection between heart and commerce. And to women hoping to evade the ticking clock of time or just to feel like gladiators with tits, it made him invaluable. Despite his willingness to share his methods with his associates, there were elements of Dr. Brandt's practice that simply couldn't be taught. Dr. Analik knows that. He's okay with that. There's definitely an empathy. The funny thing about Fred, though, was on top of the science and, you know, a little bit of the eccentric behavior, and he was a combination of nerd and cool. He was an unusual combination. And I think that that combination worked in a way where people were thrilled to be around it. He was the guy who knew all the science. He knew the anatomy. He knew how to approach it. But he was also wildly fun and actually so cool in that setting. And so I think that when these celebrities who come in and out, they clicked with him because he was fun and he could... There was an empathy, but he also just understood the world around him and he could talk about it. And it extended to things that, you know, so many celebrities do enjoy if we're talking about celebrities. I mean, the fashion and the entertainment. And I look back on old pictures on Instagram of me and him. And there's this one on his where he's wearing this Yves Saint Laurent long coat with some sort of metal chains in the back. What are you wearing? <laughs> I'm wearing a white coat. What's wrong with me? Just nerd? But yeah. there was a coolness to it that might have seemed very foreign to people who didn't know him. But once they got to know him, they would see it. And I think people are really connected to him. So is that something you can learn? I, no, I think that if somebody can connect with people, they can be in that role. There is a mutual validation when you're with a celebrity and celebrities see you. But that just continued to build for him as you know, they would want us to spend time with him. And so he became one of the first celebrity dermatologists. Dr. Analik agrees that the exchange of energy, the one between ego and empathy, can create a deficit. I think you're right. There's so many examples, it's hard to think of them all, but just how he cared for people. And I joke that it wasn't 9 to 5, it was 9 to 8, but at 8 p.m., I remember one day saying, all right, we were Dr. A and Dr. B. Right. He'd say, all right, Dr. A, get your coat. We're going to the hospital. 
We were visiting a patient of ours who just had knee replacement surgery. This is late at night. What cosmetic dermatologist do you know is going to the hospital to basically do rounds? Not really, just to see the patient, make sure that they're okay. All his otherness, and that's an otherness too. I don't know another cosmetic dermatologist who would do that. It was a very positive thing to everyone around him. But yes, he was different. Do you think he had any of that love for himself? Who knows in the end how he viewed himself, right? How could he do this to himself? I hope he did, especially before the state of depression. Because when the depression hits, of course, he didn't. I hope he did. The Baron of Botox is a production of Imperative Entertainment. It was created, written, and reported by me, Justine Harmon. Executive producer is Jason Hoke. Produced and engineered by Shane Freeman, with additional editing from Jasmine Cross and Jason Hoke. Original music by Brandon Bush. Barbara Keene is our researcher and fact checker. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. If you like the show, tell your friends and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The Baron of Botox is a 10-episode series with new episodes available every Tuesday. Have questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. If you or someone you know is struggling from depression, find local support and more resources by visiting NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org. If you are having suicidal thoughts, you can reach a trained crisis counselor by calling the toll-free National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK or texting NAMI, N-A-M-I to 741-741. You are not alone. Thank you for listening. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.